This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Coming up, we've got all the news and views from Manchester City's week. It's your club and this is your show. So it's another one of those weeks where the headlines have all come away from the pitch. After a rather routine victory against a not very good Norwich side, the focus turned towards whether City could complete their transfer business for the window. It's now transpired that if there is to be more business done, it won't involve Harry Kane. It might though include Cristiano Ronaldo. All that while Pep Guardiola may also be leaving at the end of his current contract. So on this week's Blue Moon podcast, we'll have all the reaction to that news. Plus we'll be looking at the club's other options for a goal scorer and we'll talk about the upcoming match with Arsenal. If that wasn't enough, former City defender Terry Phelan is speaking to the show and we'll take some of your questions as well. I'm David Mooney. This week I'm joined by City fan and Guardian sports journalist Will Unwin. Hello. And his former flatmates and Daily Mail Northern football reporter Jack Gorn. Hello, you alright? Not too bad, thanks Jack. You well, Will? Yeah, just, just generally tired through parenting and house moving. Well, uh, yeah, it comes to us all, doesn't it? Well, let's uh, let's start with uh, the big news of the week. Uh, and the former Norwich striker, Harry Kane, has announced that he's going to be staying at Tottenham. Um, Jack, immediate kind of uh, thoughts on this. Where does this leave City now? Are there, are there any alternatives? Is it? Is, I mean, with, as we record, there is uh, the talk of Cristiano Ronaldo. How, how real is any of that? Yeah, it's real. The... Um... Uh, what they've been saying all week is that it's highly unlikely, but... Um... If it becomes a financial no-brainer, i.e. his wages get reduced significantly and they don't have to pay much of a fee, if anything, then who knows? It seems today that things have moved on um, quite quickly. Uh, but I kind of get the sense that it's a bit of a it's just a bit of a trolley dash, isn't it? And it's not what people come to expect from, from City, who uh, seem to be pretty confident that they were going to get Kane. Um hasn't transpired and then they were left going, right, we need someone, what are we gonna do? And they're now at the they're now at the whims of George Mendes. Yeah. Not for the first time. Yeah, I mean the, the the other side. I mean, there's a point in there, Will, isn't there, about how confident City were in getting Harry Kane, and then have come absolutely nowhere close. Is is it just bad preparation? Is it have they been you know sold a, a golden egg by the Kane camp? What's what's happened there? Do you think? Well, yeah, Kane obviously wanted to come to City, wanted to leave Spurs for you know, great opportunities and winning trophies, etc., etc. But they seem to have <laughs> thought that it, that was, that's all you needed, whereas you know. He's irrepre- irreplaceable for Spurs. He's you know, one of the best strikers in the Premier League, if not Europe. And Daniel Levy has a reputation that everyone knows about, that he'll get as much money for a player as possible. And he'll also know, like I say, he is irreplaceable. So if you're not going to spend over the odds for him, he's not like when you're signing Kyle Walker, who is who they already had a replacement for in the ranks, they have no one else. They don't really have a second striker at Spurs, pretty much. And so City seems to think it would be very easy. You know, seem to think they'd have a certain fee quoted and it'd all be done and dusted. And, you know, there's no, there was no proper plan B in place with a, you know, a week to go to the end of the window. It's a little bit amateur um, from City on this occasion. Yeah, I mean, Jack's not a, a City fan. You are. How, how do you feel about the idea, the prospects of signing Cristiano Ronaldo? I just think it'll be quite fun, to be honest. He's um, still at the peak of his powers. He doesn't seem to be declining as a footballer. He's scoring goals. He can play in all the positions Pep Guardiola wanted to play across the front three. You know, across the front eight, he could probably do a, a job. 
he'll inspire the rest of the team. There's a reason that it's him and him and Messi at the top of the of, of the professional game. It's it'll be quite good fun, and it'll wind up a few Manchester United fans along the way. It'll be fun, you know. Mm-hmm. Let's not concern ourselves too much about everything else. I might need a bit more convincing than that. I'm not going to lie. I mean, I'm, I'm perfectly happy to admit that I'm a very fickle creature, and that as soon as he's banging goals in, I'm get, I'll probably be changing my mind on this. But you know what I mean. Um, just on the Kane front, Jack, um, should City have let it let it drag on as much as they did this summer? Is no, it? I think they thought that Levy was going to come come to some sort of compromise. Um, but there does come a point where you just got to go right. This isn't happening. Um, but they were waiting and waiting and waiting, and people kept giving up. Kyle Walker is a good, good example um, of you know the event. You know they sold him eventually, um, but it's not the same, is it? Kane's a Tottenham icon, uh, and Levy wouldn't want to kind of concede any sort of financial ground to anybody. And if he thinks he if he, if he thinks he's worth 150 million quid, I I personally don't. So he clearly don't. Then that he's entitled to his own valuation. Um, there's a lot of like strange things that happen with that, uh, with that pursuit. The strangest being the gentleman's agreement, really, uh, that was made last year about kind of just, just that not absolutely, absolutely not worth the paper they're written on, is it? Well, no, not anymore. <laughs> they kind of there's too much money at stake for for these things to to count for anything in these days. Uh, I think, to be honest. Looking at it, I think City thought they were going to be able to get in for hundred mil, um, which you know hindsight tells us that that was never going to, never ever going to be the case. Um, and they have left it late. And as I said before, it, is, it has become a trolley dash to get Ronaldo in. And despite the club saying earlier this week they don't think it's they don't think it's they don't think it's likely. It's now looking like he could end up being a City player by Tuesday. Um, which is just not, just not the way they do things, is it? It's well, not the way I, they operate. I, I'm interested in kind of digging into that feeling, Will, because um, as Jack says, it's not the way they operate. They've not operated like that for for some time. The, the sort of trolley dash experience at the end of the transfer window. Um, but equally, they've never like they've never dropped a hundred million on a player before, and they nearly did it twice on two players this this single summer. Like, it's is there a sense that is it strange that I'm relieved that they haven't done that? Relieved that City have not paid over the odds for Kane out of desperation. Well, I think the sign is that they need a player in that position. You know, they've let the club's record goal scorer leave. Jesus has not provided what everyone would hope when he signed. He's not been the replacement for Aguero. And at the top level of football, you need players that can guarantee you goals. And I know last season, City won the title without playing a striker. But you need that level of variety. And City know that, and Guardiola knows that, that you need Debt from different things in your squad, which Harry Kane could have provided, you know, playing in a couple of ways as 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 a number nine, and it is, you know, it is surprising that they knew they needed a number nine type player, and they only had one, <laughs> you know, <laughs> one, one player lined up. It's it's a bit odd. One player, you know, one player, twenty eight, whose injury record in recent years has been a little bit questionable, and that. They have to really pay, and you have to pay over the odds for him. There's no, there's no good deal. There was no good deal to be done in the first place, and it just got worse and worse, and hence why it didn't happen. Yeah, 
So um, I do find it a bit, stra- a bit strange as well that then you, you're just weakening the squad, hoping that players will fill in, especially when one of your attacking players is Bernardo, who's desperate, <laughs> desperate to get out by all, by all accounts. Um, yeah, it's very strange. So then we're just having to <laughs> see if your game, Jorge Mendes, has got uh, can let us have Cristiano Ronaldo for nothing because um, yeah. you know, reading. Um, Juventus won 25 million quid and City not particularly keen on spending money on him the, the, the thing is there shouldn't be five days before the transfer window finishes they shouldn't be relying on favours and Mendes to do some financial wizardry and try and kind of do deals with two or three clubs simultaneously in order to get a striker through the building uh, is Scott Sinclair available? Well, <laughs> George Ware? It was a championship club that couldn't afford Charlie Austin's wages the other week when they were trying to nab him off QPR. I just might as well get him. Um, Lee Kennedy asks on Twitter, uh, do you feel that football fans are becoming overly dramatic about football transfers? Uh, and Jack, I'm interested on this because it kind of leads me into this uh, this idea of um, there's a lot of lot of accounts on Twitter that, that basically give equal weight to all rumours as they hear them. They post up whatever they've heard. And I just wonder if, it, if, if it's that that kind of drives us all insane during transfer season. Yeah, it feels like this season's been worse than others, or this one's been worse than others, um, probably because of the names that are, that are involved. Um, the, yeah, I mean, the, the, the stuff on Twitter drives me absolutely mad, and I've turned my notifications off a few weeks ago, and I'm quite glad that kind of I don't have to wade, wade through them, because uh, it's just this kind of incessant barrage of tweets from people going what's new about this what's happening about this it's like well if I had anything in that moment then it'd be on the website it'd be in the paper like um I always find it interesting the people that that ask for updates in that sense as if it's that question that's going to tip you into giving the information that you've been holding back do you know, do you I know, know what I mean I know it's um it's, it's been a strange summer because basically the, the greedish thing was always going to get done and there were a few people that a lot of people that knew that he had a hundred million pound release clause but it wasn't written for a good while um which is why all the stories towards the back end of the season all said 100 mil because everyone knew it was 100 mil um city were trying to negotiate down from that in the final two weeks and they were trying to do some sort of deal that uh, meant that they wouldn't spend 100 all in one go um and it became clear that they had to so they just went and did it whereas the Kane stuff is, to be honest from a um, a city angle, which they wouldn't, they, no one said anything on it all summer. Uh, but that's not a massive problem, but becomes a problem when websites and newspapers are asking for updates on Kane every day and going, What's new? What's new? What's new? Uh, you get something that kind of chivies it along a little bit, um, and then it kind of blows up, and then it just becomes just snowballs and becomes a massive a massive problem which is why like the same people that say they're sick of non-stories appearing in online are the same people that, that have a thirst for transfer news and want news all the time so I'm just kind of yeah. I'm not obviously not asking anyone to feel sorry for me at all but I'm just absolutely exhausted with it it's just it, it, it just happens when it happens, doesn't it? That's the that's that's the the kind of take home from it. Yeah, I mean, there's a middle ground. Like, obviously, you kind of got to try and find updates where where possible, and we all do that, and everyone does that very well. But it's the yeah, it's just as I said before, it's just incessant um, and constant, and kind of 
yeah, not the summers are not pleasant at the moment. Yeah. Well, Will, the, the other bombshell that's been uh, dropped this week is uh, on Wednesday, Guardiola gave an interview uh, where he said, after seven years at City, I think I'll have a break, stop for a while, see what we've done, review inspirations, and in this process, I'd like to coach a national team, South America, European, play a Copper America. I want this experience. Um, that's It doesn't exactly say that he's finishing at the end of this contract, but it, it, it's... It, it, it's the strongest hints that you're going to get from him that he's, that he's not going to sign a new deal. Um, what's your reaction to that? Well, conveniently, I spent this morning writing about this, so I'll just read this out. Um, <laughs> it's no surprise. He stays at City longer than anywhere else. Um, you know, he's desperate to win the Champions League, and that'll be his aim in the next two years. And if he doesn't do it in the next two years, then there's a slight chance he'll stay to finish the job. Um so yeah, he's lo- you know, he loves living in Manchester by all accounts. He's you know the football he's brought to City, the plays he gets to work with every day are very exciting. Um yeah, it's just you know, he's seven years for Guardiola if you look at his previous tenures is quite impressive and no surprise he wants to do something a bit more fun like a Copper America and whatnot, and probably a bit less intense as a national team manager. Um, good luck to him. It's been fun. Hopefully, City find the right replacement, but he'll leave the club in a better position than he found it. And you know, that's football. Managers come and go, and yeah. a seven-year stay is pretty impressive. Are, are they wasting his penultimate year though? Will if they don't have a plan B centre forward, if they if they don't bring Ronaldo in? Yeah, yeah. Well, you've read my piece already. It's not even been published. <laughs> um, yeah, this is yeah. The plan is. They say to win the Champions League, and without a centre forward, the chances of doing that is far lesser. Um, so he'll be frustrated. You know, he came out in a press conference and said how good Kane was. Um, he was very, you know, it's very open how much City wanted Kane, and he was Plan A, and yeah, you know, there was no one else. So he'll be frustrated at that. He'll get on with the job. He knows that there's plenty of quality in there and if he has to move things around he'll probably be quite excited about the prospects of you know coming up with the concept of a false 9 10 11 14 um to try and adapt the, the players to beat any opposition so yeah I, I think the chances of winning Champions League without a number nine are decreasing um but you know they'll, they'll make a good go of it Blue Moon Podcast listeners can get themselves a free case of eight craft beers from Beer 52. Perfect for the beginning of the season and for those matches that you're not able to get to, whether it's Leicester away or Southampton at home after the international break. Beer 52 is the world's largest beer club and has over 170,000 active members. Each month, members are sent a case with a different theme. In the case, you'll also get snacks and a special magazine. If you don't like dark beer, there's a light option as well. And don't forget, you can pause or cancel at any time. Just go to beer52.com forward slash blue and pay the postage of £5.95 and you'll get yourself a free case of eight craft beers. That's beer52.com forward slash blue, B-L-U-E, for a case of eight craft beers, only for the cost of your postage. Well, let's uh, let's actually talk about some football now because uh, there was a game that happened last week that we that we need to talk a few things about. Um, while we're on strikers, Jack uh, Gabriel Jesus has said that he wants to play uh, a little bit more from the wing. Um, I'm not that surprised, given how if he was going to be City's replacement centre forward, he'd have done it already, wouldn't he? 
Yeah, and uh, you remember the Real Madrid game away uh, in February 2020 when he played left wing and he was best player on the pitch by an absolute mile. Thought he was brilliant, best game that he's played in a city shirt. And there was a lot of people after that that went, well, he's probably more suited to playing out there. And he said himself over the weekend that he was like, well, clearly you don't watch Brazil because I've been playing out wide for Brazil for ages. And I think he just gives them, I think it takes the pressure off him. Um, You could see that that, against Norwich, I guess. Yeah, and I think it does allow pressure to weigh heavy on him at times. So that's a positive thing for him. And he's so quick and direct, particularly with his running off the ball, that He's just perfect for those kind of Guardiola City goals, isn't he? Coming in at the back post and just tapping, tapping something in. So, like, yeah, it's quite. I hope he, I hope he gets a run there, but I don't see how he does because you've got Grealish, Sterling, Mares, um, Foden to come back. Um, Bernardo can play out there, so I don't know. It might, it might be that he still struggles for consistent games, even if they, even if they move him. Move him out wide. I don't. I don't know. Um, yeah. I think everyone wants him to do well, though, which can't be said for everyone. Uh, for every player, I think that everyone's kind of just behind him, aren't they? Um, he's like seems like a, a nice fellow who works really hard and just wants to do his best. So hopefully, uh, a move out wide works out for him. Yeah. Well, he, he he misses a lot of chances, and that's kind of what goes against him as a centre forward. Um, I, I guess, as Jack says, if he's in the position where for the tapping at the back post in the in the Guardiola style goal, it, it makes those chances easier not to miss. Yeah. Also, every time he does miss, you know he's missed because he's absolutely gutted. He's sort of on the floor, head in hands, you know, thinking the world's ended. So, yeah, like he's he. The traditional, you've got to, you know, you've got to be there to miss the chance, um, and yeah, he could be far more relaxed when he when he's not the focal point of a, an attack and not the constant pressure of say trying to be the Aguero replacement, which he obviously isn't. And if you are at the back post there to tap him in, and he know, you know, he knows the runs, he knows how to do them. And I think he is a person that feels all the pressure on him at times, at alleviating that by not being a number nine. Um, should suit him and yeah. get a few more goals at the back post. Yeah, he, he linked up quite well with Walker as well. I mean, it, we, we've not really seen him play from the right that much. I, I, certainly off the top of my head that I can remember. Will um, like just on on Walker as well. What's is is he a case of you don't really realise what you've got at fullback until he's not there? Yeah, and so just on G's as well, he's playing from the right because if you're going to play for Guardiola and you're not going to play as a successful number nine, you're going to have to play all those front three roles at some point. So he's got to be tried out in those. And yeah, with Walker, he is incredibly consistent. That's, you know, he 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 has the odd lapse of concentration, which all defenders do. But he, he he's got better at that. He makes fewer of those. He's... You know, incredible athlete as a defender going, you know, up and down the pitch, has slotted in playing on, you know, the right hand side of a back three for City and for England. He shows that he's adaptable. Um, I know Guardiola's worked a lot one on one with him on certain things to make sure he does doesn't switch off as much as he used to. Um, and yeah, he, he struggles to find someone that has that athleticism. And just pure 
love of defending and you know flying into tackles and getting the ball um so he you know he's the other side of 30 now you know so eyeing up a replacement especially when you look at the other fullback role is not nailed down by anyone um yeah so he will will miss him when he when he goes for a a nice couple of years at Sheffield United or something (laughs) Jack where I mean just looking at Cancelo as well with uh, with Walker um what does Walker bring to the team that that Cancelo doesn't um, I think it's the athleticism, to be honest. I think it's the ability to get himself back into positions that you wouldn't expect him to recover from. Um, and it's just the continuing bombing up and down the line. Uh, that, well, that not like very, very few fullbacks in world football will be able to give you that. Um, and the thing that's really like that has really impressed me with Walker is that. He's far more intelligent football than he was when he joined, um, and is the sort of person that takes on the tactical responsibility from that right back area. Uh, and it all looks so like seamless for him now. It's like we're doing the the, uh, the through ball for one of the goals on on Saturday against against Norwich. Like Kyle Walker wouldn't be doing that four years ago. There's no chance. Um, but he gives them that extra outlet now. But as I said, can still do go around the outside, get a ball in. Um, and then his his ability to make recovery runs is invaluable given the fact that City get turned over quite a lot. Well, not quite a lot, but they look most vulnerable when they get turned over in the field. Yeah. Um, quick word on, on Jack Grealish as well, Jack. Um, off the mark, maybe a little unintentionally, but still. Uh, he's, how's he settled in, do you think? Yeah, difficult to tell until October, November, I suppose. Um, so only two games in. Uh, thought he was taking up good areas on Saturday. Um, I did think the last when he came on against Leicester, obviously not really trained. I think he was trying a little bit too hard to affect yeah. the game. Um, but once he'd like once he settled settles down um, after a few weeks, I think you start kind of seeing him flourish. But I think that you know you laugh about the goal, but like clearly knows where he's supposed to be yeah, in, that, yeah, yeah. in that team. So that's a that's a positive. And I think he kind of he's endeared himself to people around the club already after his um after his unveiling the you know the day where they take him on the tour of the stadium and whatever. Him and his family were sending text messages to members of staff at City thanking them for all the help and things like that. So yeah, it seems to have seems to have gone quite well so far. Yeah, popular character as well around the dressing room, so it's uh, it's all good. Uh, well, I just want to I want to finish this first part of the show on the defence um, because uh, Ross Evans on Twitter has asked, uh, "What are your thoughts on a back three of Diaz, Laporte, and Stones with rotating wing backs Walker, Zinchenko, and Cancelo? Considering we've got an abundance of midfield talent and still no striker signed, um, Guardiola. I, I mean, the, the thought of a back three will bring a lot of fans out in cold sweats because of uh, of what happened against Leon but it's it's not the same is it than what than what happened against Leon Diaz Laporte and Stones no you know it's i think England showed that the Euros can be relatively successful I'm not a huge I don't think any top club has really utilized it as a concept because we've got so much attacking talent to then have a back three and it seems a, a bit negative. Um, it would definitely be, you know, a bit sturdier, and it will you know, be fluid if you know if utilised. But I can't see City ever really doing it again. After <laughs> I had to write about that Leon game today as well <laughs> to point out 
the failings of the Champions League. So um, it's all right. No, I don't win City a shit. Don't worry. It's not a family <laughs> podcast, is it? Um, not anymore. Yeah, it's I not. Can't, yeah, I can't. I can't see it ever really being done by Guardiola again. I find it quite negative as a concept when you know, say you got so much. Yeah, we might have City had no striker last season. We stop him. Um, so I'd be very surprised if it came out again because it it is quite negative and it's yeah, it's, it's a bit dull for Guardiola. Yeah, well, uh, John Rogers will has come up with another way to try and get Diaz Laporte and Stones in the team because he says, I thought Diaz and Laporte were outstanding together on Saturday. Is it time to play our Barnsley Beckenbauer in exactly that role? For me, it would be worth a try as Stones undoubtedly has the class, intelligence, and pace to give it a go. Or do we play a back three? Well, we just covered that last bit. So Yeah, yeah, no back three. <sighs> What's this desperation to get everyone in the team I find it quite strange players will be in and out of form City are best for a back four at some point Stones Diaz and Laporte will play you know lots of you know they'll all play lots of games this season it'll be fine Stones doesn't need to move position he'd probably do alright there against Norwich and very other tedious teams that City expect to hammer Um, but yeah there's a long term option it's just a bit of a waste of time in my opinion yeah Right, well, uh, while we're on the defence, in the early 1990s, Manchester City signed a left-back from Wimbledon in a transfer that equaled a club record fee. Having already brought in Keith Curl from the Dons in 1991 for £2.5 million, the club added Terry Phelan from the same club for the same price a year later. I've been speaking to him to find out more about how the move came about. Well, I think it was uh, the last hour, to tell you the truth. You know, uh, you know, I was uh, <clears throat> talking to a few other clubs. Obviously, there was... No Ajax, uh, there was Tottenham Hotspurs, there was Crystal Palace, uh, Barcelona, Manchester United, uh, going back to Leeds, I think Rangers, Glasgow Rangers, Celtic was was there and all. And obviously, a, a few clubs got priced out of the, the bracket. You know, obviously, Sam Hamam at Wimbledon wanted uh, around about two and a half million at that time, which, you know, for a football player back in then, it was an awful lot of money. And for the fullback, it was the defender, it was an awful lot of money. So, you know, I, I didn't really think that was necessary. I think one and a half million, 1.8 million was probably enough, uh, to tell you the truth, not being funny, being very modest, modest on, on this one. Uh, so, yeah, and a lot of clubs just offered uh, 1.5 million. And then uh, Peter Reid came in at the last hour and said, listen, I'm looking for a fullback. He's the best around at this present time, and we're going to have to pay the money for the, the you know, one of the best fullbacks in the in the league. So, it was a last minute. I went and met Peter, and he showed me the blueprint of what he wanted to do and what he wanted to do with the club. I met the owner then, Peter Swells, lovely fella, and yeah, I mean, I knew Keith Curl had signed there from Wimbledon and all. Uh, there was David White there. Now Quinn had played with at Ireland. So there's a few players there, Steve McMahon and obviously Tony Cote and Andy Dibble. So there was a, a, a few players there who, who were uh, really new, uh, you know, Andy Hill. And, and then there was a few younger lads coming through. And also it was like, yeah, I, you know, it's, it's a, a club who I supported as a young boy growing up. Man City was my uh, first shirt I ever, uh, I ever got. You know, I couldn't go to the games an awful lot. Uh, but yeah, and it, it was just really a last minute thing, to tell the truth. And, you know, I was up there doing a medical as soon as possible. Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, let's talk about one of the games in uh, in, in 93. Um, 
it's it's always remembered for um, kind of well, partly for your goal in it in the FA Cup quarter final against Spurs, but also <laughs> everything else that came with it. Um, mm. I, I mean, before we get into the backstory of it, or what, just describe that goal for me. Well, listen. To tell the truth, I was I was. Uh, can I say this bit of language? I was really pissed off because, you know. You know the, the the Manchester City fans, and you know they, they you know we hadn't, they hadn't won a lot in, in an awful long lot of years, and we seen this chance of the team we was building of really going on and winning this competition, winning the FA Cup. We really did think that, you know. But listen, we took each game by its, you know, each game as it come to tell you the truth, and you know we trained hard, you know there was a. There was a, a good response from the lads and the, the fans was gearing up for it. It was the quarterfinals and we're thinking, hey, we've got a good chance here. We know top-notch Spurs, they've got a good team. They're going to be hard to break down. But you know what? We went in there at half-time 1-0 up. We was cruising the game. There was no problems. And we, 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 we shouldn't have probably gone in. We probably should have stayed out on the field. Uh, and then, you know, we, we, we come in, we've gone back out and couple of little mistakes and he got a penalty and it seemed to like fall away but we kept plugging away and we went 3-1 down 1-1 2-1 3-1 down 4-1 down and I'm thinking this is it's gone now we're, we're never going to try and get this back and I remember saying to TC TC just roll us the ball out please and I was I was pissed off really really pissed off but I was threatening to do this in games previously you know I, I used to love running with the ball that freedom and that excitement of getting the fans up off their seats and stood up there. And that was all, that's what I was all about. Uh, and I picked the ball up and I said, listen, I'm going to have a go here. And it just opened up. The field got bigger. It got wider. And I thought, keep going, keep going. Now Quinn did a, a couple of uh, rugby tackles or American rugby tackles there. And it just opened up. And then I ended up coming against the keeper. And I thought, I've done all this now. I can't miss. Let me put it in the back of the net. At least put a smile on the back of the uh, back on the, the Manchester City faces uh, and and that's what happened really if you, if you look at the table I didn't really celebrate because I was gutted but inside I was a little bit happy for the, the City fans because obviously uh, I tried to give them something back and I think all the players did and, and then after that uh, you know other things happened so uh, for me it was a bit of a, a joyous day a bit of a, a downward day to tell you the truth. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, you know, around about that time as well. Um, what was what was what was your reaction when you found out that that Peter Reid was uh, was going to be sacked by uh, by Peter Swales? I was very sad because when you know, I, you know, like I said it previously, I could have gone to uh, a few clubs there, you know, and obviously when you sit with the uh, the owners, the directors, uh, the manager, the coaches, coaching staff, the physios. And you've got a buzz about the place and the players are buzzing. You know, in that dressing room, it used to buzz. Training used to be buzzing. Uh, the, you know, the atmosphere in there was absolutely fantastic. You know, Peter, I thought, was, was, was you know, was, was great of what he did. And, you know, we, we really did think we, were, we could go places. Uh, and it was a shock, really. It was a real shock to me because, you know, I'd put my trust in everything. And like I said, I could have gone to other places and... Uh, I trusted what was going on, and and he enjoyed what we, what was going on. The blueprint, as I say, the philosophy, of what was going on, right down to the reserve team, to the youth team. We had some wonderful players coming through. Uh, so you know, I really, I really, really enjoyed it. 
Yeah, I mean, when when Brian Horton was the name that that was announced as as replacing Peter as well, well, uh, how was that? Because he he he'd not had experience of top flight management before. Were you, were you a bit nervous about what he what he'd be what he'd bring what he'd what he'd be like? I think everyone was to tell you the truth. No disrespect to to Brian. Uh, it was it, you know when you sit down with uh, a person like you know, and we've all got different personalities. When you sit down with somebody like Peter Reid and he, he sells you something, he's going, look, this is where we're going. And then he, he goes after a year, you know. I think the whole club was on a bit of a downer and the players was on a bit of a downer, you know. And then we had to, we just got over pre-season and we had to come in and we was, we've got to pick ourselves up. This is not, this is not right. We've got to pick ourselves up for the fans because they've seen too much of it. And, you know, and I just don't think, it, I just don't think that was right. But obviously with, with Brian coming in, Listen, he had his different philosophy, different trends, different ideas. You know, some was liked, some wasn't liked. Uh, but at the end of the day, he was the manager to abide by his rules. You know, he, he was brought in. Yeah, was he the right fit for a job? Probably, probably not. Uh, was he? Was he? Could he handle the players in in the right direction? Probably not. You know, uh, so it was. It was. It, it, it was trying to buy that dressing room, you know, trying to get the philosophy into the dressing room of what, what he wanted. And I think, to be fair to him, it was a really, really hard job for him, to tell you the truth, a really hard job uh, for him, uh, really, uh, to cement what uh, what he wanted into the players. Yeah, well, do you think he managed that at all? I think he did in parts, to tell you the truth. I, did, I, I think he did in parts, and I think he lost it a little bit, uh, uh, especially at the start, you know, we're, we're saying, look, you know, we, you know, the players, the fans probably would have expected, you know, somebody a little bit, like you said, a little bit more, I wouldn't say experienced because Brian was very experienced, but, you know, somebody who'd been there, seen it at that real top level and to be able to manage a club like Manchester City and then you've got to manage the players in there and all. And there were some real, real strong characters in there, real strong characters in there. You've got to manage them and all. And, I don't think he, 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 he could do that, to tell you the truth. Please support the show by becoming a backer. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. That was Terry Phelan. Now, this season, we're being sponsored by Football Prizes, and that means you could win some exclusive Manchester City prizes. This week, they've got a Gabriel Jesus signed and framed montage up for grabs. And as we said a bit earlier on, uh, we'll get a good start to the season for Jesus. Incredible start for the season, you know, especially when <laughs> so much pressure and the likes of you know getting other strikers in. Um, so yeah, done done really well. Looked positive, looks confident for once. Yeah, good news. Yeah, if you'd like to get your hands on that uh, Jesus signed framed montage, then uh, you just need to be in the draw. Entries are two pounds ninety five each, and there are only sixty five available for this draw. So it's a little bit like an online raffle. You'll get ten percent off your entry price with the code Blue Moon Ten. That's B L U E M W O N Ten. Just go to footballprizes.co.uk for more information. Ten percent of the money raised from the entries will also go to City in the community, and we've got a free ticket into the draw to give away for Blue Moon podcast listeners. For the chance to win that, just email bluemoonpodcast at gmail.com with your name and your contact phone number. If you want to be sure of being in the draw, though, use the code BLUEMOON10 for a 10% discount on your entry at footballprizes.co.uk. Time now to look ahead at the game with Arsenal, and let's bring in Kesh, our uh, friendly Arsenal fan. Hiya, Kesh, how are you doing? 
I'm not too bad, thanks. How about you? I, I can't complain. Uh, let's let's start with Arsenal because um, do we have to? Uh, yeah, we we. I need to get some insight into how this season started, and it's been two two nil defeats. Um, like, how's it looking, mate? It's it's not looking great, in all honesty. Um, I think the pro- the biggest problem is that you know you can you can write off a loss to Chelsea, and it wasn't a disgraceful performance. It wasn't good, um, but the problem is more what came up against Brentford, and that's probably going to keep coming up is that we just don't make any chances and that that's the problem been the biggest problem throughout our test's entire time with us and you can he's put in a sort of relatively okay structure like the team is definitely a lot more solid than it was before he turned up but we don't score goals and every problem we have leads to the fact that we don't score and the, then the more you don't score the more pressure you put on yourselves and the defense can't handle it yeah so it's and and so yeah, you, I mean, you can you have a freak result against a newly promoted team, their first game in the Premier League. Fine, Chelsea, they just won the Champions League. We're probably going to get tonked to the weekend by you lot. Like, you can take all of these results in isolation and say, all right, you, you work with it. But it's because the themes of each game we're probably going to keep going and going. That that's the that's the really worrying thing going forward. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's like you can't really avoid the headlines of, of how this season started in that sense. Um, I mean, in terms of like the transfer window as well, does it look like there's going to be any fixes before the before the deadline? It's not clear, you know. Um, I don't think we'll end up buying a centre-forward. I really hope we get rid of Lacazette, but I'm not holding my breath there. Um, we might end up buying a right-back, but I think we've done most of the business we're going to do. Um, which doesn't worry me too much in the sense I don't think the problem really is the personnel. I think the squad is a lot better than it's performing. And even if it's not necessarily a top four level squad at the moment, it's not It's not a terrible squad and it's definitely better than the results it's getting. So I think, I mean, Aubameyang isn't as finished as he looks in my mind, but if he keeps playing like he is, then I think the problem is much more tactical than anything to do with his age or anything like that. Which is, I mean, one example. But yeah, so I'm, not, I'm not too fussed on the players who will end up signing or not now. I mean, I'd like to get rid of a few. But yeah, it's it's very much, it all comes back to, well, you can have all the best players in the world, but if your tactics aren't getting anything from them, then what's the point? Yeah, I mean, just on terms of that as well, obviously City fans know Arteta um, from his time with, with Guardiola. How's patience with him at uh, at the Emirates? It's, it's ebbing away for a lot of people, I'd say myself included. There's a lot of goodwill towards him. There's a lot of desire for him to succeed among the fan base. But it, and, and obviously it started very well with the FA Cup. And sort of he's, he's, people sort of criticise the culture around the club, which is obviously one of the easiest sticks to sort of try to hit Arsenal with. But honestly, that's fine. Like, that's not a concern. He's, he's done quite well on that front. It's just the fact that we're so awful to watch. Um, and there's nothing that looks like turning that around. And so that is the more the more bored people get watching these games, and the more we lose, the more you know the more the patience is just evaporating. Yeah. Well, that's uh, looking from a, a city point of view. Will um, James DeCourcy on Twitter has asked, uh, "How big of a challenge is it for Laporte to try and get himself a regular starting spot? Would it take a Stones injury, or would Pep be willing to give him enough chances?" Uh, Guardiola's already said that uh, that you know if he's fit and you know the the COVID situation is that he can play, he will play against uh, against Arsenal. What 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 do you make of, uh, of of Laporte and his his position at City at the minute? Well, there's going to be a lot of games this season. At the moment, he's you know, ended up as third choice. He's going to get a lot of chances, as Stones will tell you. All you need is for someone to have an injury or a bit of lack of form to get back in. The ball's not, be, you know, he, he had his dip and got pushed out of the side. 
but he's been very good when he's come in in the last, you know, since he came back from his absence last season. Um, so he's going to get his chances. He's a very good defender. He's very intelligent. He never particularly looked rusty when he comes in. Um, so he will play a lot of games this season. And at some point, he could force himself back into the side purely out of, you know, form or, you know, as they say, through injury for someone. Who, yeah, everyone rates him. Pep rates him. So he'll, he'll get his chances before too long. Yeah, Jack. The uh, the story was, uh, in fact, I think you had the story recently about uh, City not not standing in the port's way if he wants to leave. Uh, what what's the latest on that? Is, is there any chance of anybody coming in for him, or is it just one of those players that nobody can afford right now? No, they, there's so many players at the moment that teams can't afford, and Laporte's one of them. They wouldn't want to let, want to let him go for anything anything less than sixty million, and it's just not going. It's not going to happen, is it? There was a few. There's a few of them. Uh, but obviously Bernardo's top of the list for for wanting to go. But Laporte probably looked at it last last year and obviously wasn't in the preferred eleven, was he? For the particularly Champions League games, he played Stones and Stones and Diaz, and Laporte's one of the best centre halves in the world. And obviously wants to play, but it'd be it'll be interesting to see if if he continues the way he's, he played at the weekend. How it works with Pep is that if you continue to perform, then you keep the shirt. So it could be that those sort of di- defensive dynamics change in the coming weeks. Yeah, um, just on the lineup, Jack. How, how much do you think it picks itself for this game, given like who's available, who's injured, and and like the form that they showed against Norwich? Um, I don't think it ever. I don't think it ever really picks itself with City. I think the back four picks itself. Um, who do you play up front? Like. Let's, does he play? Does he move Jesus into the middle? Play Mares and Steele on either side, or does he play Grealish? I don't know. There's still, I don't know about you, but I think there's a few kind of question marks over who's going to play where at the weekend. Yeah. What do you reckon, Will? Any, 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 any steers on where you think he'll go? I think he might go the same forward line as it played Norwich, scored goals in form, and you got an international break coming up afterwards. So I think for once he might not be too too concerned about picking the same players. Yeah, in terms of uh, of how Arsenal will line up, Cash. Um, I, I mean, how do you, how do you reboot this side? How do you, how do you get something? How do you get a tune out of them? Uh, I mean, we've we've got. I think Odegaard will play for the sort of second Premier League debut. It looks, I think he looked all right. I still was only half watching, um, so that should hopefully help in terms of you know creating chances. I'd imagine that means uh, Smith Rowe plays on the left, and I would guess Pepe over Saka on the right. But that that one's anyone's guess. And I think Aubameyang with a hat trick. Should probably start. Um, I mean, yeah, it'll be, I guess, Shaka and Lukonga in midfield. I don't know if White's fit to play, but, you know, pretty much, pretty similar lineup to the one against Chelsea, which, you know, isn't isn't the most encouraging. But, uh, but yeah, I think it, that's, I'm hoping Odegaard will make a, a big difference in terms of being able to create chances against regular teams. City are a bit of an exception. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm not really expecting that anything at all from from Saturday. I mean, let, let's assume that it does go that way and, and City do get do get the three points again. I mean, what, what how, how does the season shape up for Arsenal after that? Well, I think the, the international break will be a bit of a blessing. Just get everyone together, get all the missing players back, hopefully with whatever the squad resolutions that are going to happen over the next few days of the transfer window. Let them settle in properly, have a week. I think most of them won't get caught up again. Um, and then sort of try and treat the whole thing as yeah the season starts at home against Norwich on the eleventh, 
and try and sort of take that approach to things and just write off the first part of the season as, you know, an unprepared squad facing two of the toughest games it's going to face all year. Yeah. And kind of just hope for the best from there. And then, yeah, and hope that the new players are a bit more integrated. Because, I mean, if you saw us against Brentford, White looked like he'd never played any game before, let alone played with this team, which I think he's a talented player, so he should be all right. But you need to try and get around that situation when there's been a lot of squad turnover. The other fixture uh, this weekend as well that will catch the eye is uh, Liverpool play Chelsea. Um, given, obviously, City lost to Spurs on the opening day, the three points uh, off the top of the table, it, like, there's almost a sense that this is a must-win, even though it's only the third game of the season. Is it that, That's too early, isn't it? Well, yeah, it's too early for that, naturally. But I think playing against, as Cash keeps pointing out, this really mediocre Arsenal team it is important to win and not slip up in these games, which are very winnable because... Yeah, it's going to be far tougher challenges down the road this season, and Arsenal, you know, really should be a sort of similar prospect to Norwich last week at this rate. Yeah. Oh God! <laughs> Sorry to, uh, to to just to let Will trample all over your dreams, uh, Cash, <laughs> as the as the final point of that part of the show. But uh, it's it's uh, it, you, you can see where the concern is coming from, can't you? Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, we're raising money for the Trussell Trust this season on the podcast, a charity working to help those who are living in food poverty. The money will go to supporting the 19 food banks currently operating in Greater Manchester. We've not had a win yet on the charity bet, so let's see if we can change it this week. Each of us is getting a £10 correct score single from William Hill. Uh, let's start with uh, Jack. What are you? Uh, what's your prediction for this game? Uh, a 3-0 home win. Uh, 3-0 City win is 7-1 to one and £70 if you're right. Cash, I'm coming to you now. What have you got? Uh, I'm going optimistic and I'm going to say it's going to be 3-1 to City and we might actually score a goal. <laughs> uh, that, if that's optimistic, then I dread to think what pessimistic is, but here we are. 10-1 <laughs> uh, if you're right, £100. And Will, what have you got? 4-0 City. 4-0 City is 11-1 to 1 and £110 if you're right. You've got to be 18 or over to gamble. Prices can change and please gamble responsibly. If you'd like more information on responsible gambling, have a look at begambleaware.org. Cash, thank you very much for uh, for joining us uh, for this this part of the show. Thanks, and, uh, thanks for having me on. Yeah. If, if you can, enjoy the game on the uh, weekend. <laughs> uh, maybe I'll get drunk. Who knows? <laughs> So time to move on and Howard Hawkins up next. He's talking about how to keep your sanity now that the spotlight is always on City. And he's got some thoughts on the news that City might be about to try and sign Cristiano Ronaldo. All the ducks are swimming in the water. So what do you talk about when you've got nothing to talk about? And then on the dog walk it came to me. Is it not a good thing that I've run out of things to talk about? I mean, you like football naturally, otherwise you won't be listening to this, unless you're a masochist or having trouble sleeping. But there's only so much we can take, surely. That's why the summer was so nice, why I always welcome the end of the season, however successful it may have been. Because we all need a break from the incessant news cycle, not that a close season always gives us one. Let's look at the last week. It's hardly been the most eventful in City's history, especially when last summer we had the cast ruling and the near signing of Lionel Messi. And then all that football as well. And yet still in the past week there's been an inordinate amount of City topics to discuss and often get angry about. The tedious soul-sapping saga whether we will sign Harry Kane or not, of course. Ticketing at City and the move to mobiles. Bernardo Silva leaving, possibly. And possibly for what many consider a pittance. Empty seats, obviously. Leaving early, apparently. Champions League draw this week too, as you're no doubt aware by now. And more importantly, the Carabao Cup draw too. 
Gabriel Jesus might want to leave. Oh, and Amaric Laporte too. A court case with the Premier League rumbles on, whatever that's about. And if you're struggling with all that, you'll be pleased to know that we've been linked with signing Ronaldo and are the favourites with the bookies to do so, should he leave Juventus. And this is a quiet week, really, but you could go on forever. Makes you wonder if supporting a football club is enjoyable to many anymore, even one as good as City, when so many spend a week in a continued state of angst. And I'm one of them much of the time. And if there's a 30-minute gap in stuff to argue about, you can always fill it with human rights chats and whether City is state-owned, whether their success is tarnished as it has been bought, or get involved with the 610-page season card thread on Blue Moon if you're really at a loose end. This is why deep down I think football will be better, and I'm sorry for sounding a bit Miguel Delaney here, but anyway, here we go. Football will be better if there was no significant money in it. As a supporter of one of the wealthiest clubs ever to exist, that of course sounds insane. But would you not swap for a less successful team stroke club if it was also a less stressful team stroke club to support? If you did not feel the pressure to win every game and every competition, if you did not feel the need to man or woman the barricades and defend your club every waking hour of every day. If your owner was a local person, not because I think that's the right thing to do, but because it would just be less stressful for us blues. A world where a team can be promoted and then challenged for Premier League titles within a year or two. A world where United have no financial advantage or pull over anyone else in the same way City wouldn't. More of a roller coaster ride where we would experience more downs, but with lower expectations and thus be capable of dealing with them. Okay, this is ludicrous talk as football will be ruled by money and billionaires until the day we all die. I may wish for a unicorn to ride to work, but that's not happening either, apart from the fact that I work at home. And I guess it's easy for me to say now that I've had the experience of trophy after trophy for a decade now. How gracious of me to advocate a level playing field after all this time. Think about those poor United fans just outside Manchester who have had to accept finishing behind City for nine successive years and how they would feel if we stripped the sport of money and organically earned advantages. I'm sure your heart goes out to them. Of course, there is an easier way to alleviate the stress of following City by following the guidance I myself put forward in my last piece, namely by staying off social media. But it's an online form of rubbernecking, an addiction, especially for someone like me, who works at home and finds much of said work rather tedious. You need a break occasionally by getting irate due to the views of strangers on the internet. So that's not happening, so I guess there's only one thing left to talk about, and that's for me to solve City's problems and source an alternative striker for them that isn't called Harry Kane, and I'm afraid to say that solution is Ronaldo, even if it's not really a striker. Which naturally poses some immediate problems for many people listening to this right now, and I hope someone is. When I first heard about the links to City, I laughed out loud, dismissed them and got on with my day. Now it seems quite possible both Messi and Ronaldo, the two greatest players of the past 20 years, and perhaps ever, have tried to engineer a move to little old City. And one may still succeed. But do you want him to? My impulse reaction was no, then I thought about it. The main reason for wanting to be nowhere near City is a link to United, of course. What surprised me was how little of his career he was actually there. I always assumed he bled red. He has actually played under a third of his career at United. Where is the line drawn then on ex-United players? Many wanted Lukaku, though I know, I know it's unfair to compare the two. And ex-United players in the twilight of their career used to be more of a Stuart Pearce, Kevin Keegan, Weir Skint type of move, so it's a nice nod to the past. Of course, City should not buy a player in order to annoy United fans, but because it's the right transfer to make. It's just a fortunate bonus in this case, as is the fact he can take a penalty. 
Anyway, I'm not going to try and persuade anyone who would hate to see Ronaldo playing for City, and nor should I. And it would look weird, him wearing sky blue. But if City did get him, and they probably won't, I think he would be a success at City. The issue is United, because I honestly see it as feasible, if not ideal, on a footballing front. I do not think he is a big, insert swear word of your choice, as some other Blues do. I don't think he would disrupt team morale, and I think he would score a bucket full of goals. Just keep him off free kicks. His crap at them, yet seems blissfully unaware of this fact. He is a preening peacock in human form. But again, for me, that's not enough to not want him. Now, it's not to say I am for the move. I'm just conflicted and perhaps desperate because strip it down to football and I think he'd be a success for at least a year as long as the financial package does not wipe City out. If he wants to come, then it has to be a minimal transfer fee and he can lower his wages, which he won't, so we're back to square one anyway. And if it bides time before Haaland, then I can see some logic, even if the thought makes you nauseous. Maybe I'm just too fatigued by the aforementioned constant City news cycle to get worked up by anything anymore. Maybe I just want City to win everything at all costs until we get our socialist nirvana and money is distributed equally through the game. The only question remaining then is, would United agree to loan him to us? But just imagine the poster at the end of Dean's Gate. Welcome to Manchester, Ronaldo. Hmm, Now there's a thought. But a nice one. We'll never all agree on that. Hi, it's Nicky Weaver, and you're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. That was Howard Hawking, and we're going to finish with some listener questions. Get in touch on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. You can email us through the website as well. Just go to bluemoonpodcast.com. Search for us on Instagram as well. We're uh, we're just Blue Moon Podcast on there. And we've got the second copy of the new book, Standing Alone, by the athletic writers Sam Lee, Daniel Taylor, and Ollie Kay to win. Uh, the best question, as decided by the panel, just like last week, sent in by a listener, is going to take the prize. Uh, we've had a couple of questions already, but uh, let's get a few more to finish. Uh, Andrew Wilson on Facebook asks, do you think the excessive spending of the top clubs in European football will ever become too much for fans to accept? It seemed like the European Super League might have represented some kind of turning point, but that doesn't seem to be the case. Whilst recognising the significant social benefits Sheikh Mansour has brought to Manchester, it seems increasingly difficult to be a City fan whilst maintaining a social conscience. Um, I, good luck whoever wants to answer this one first. Will, I'm going to throw it to you as the City fan. Um having any degree of morals as a football fan is quite difficult nowadays at, the, at this level. Um, the upside to the European Super League is it was so badly done, it was quite funny <laughs> as it collapsed so quickly that you could forgive its amateurish nature, which then also does make you incredibly worried about the people running football that it was so incredibly badly done on every level. The website was hilarious. Right. It was like a sort of GCSE IT project. Um, yeah. when, you, when, you to make, when you used to have to make web, uh, websites in PowerPoint, you know, that sort of yeah. thing. Um, yeah. I think the only thing that sort of worked vaguely in City's favour as opposed to, say, Arsenal's of, of this world is that City's still quite good at the PR on ticket prices and stuff like that. So it's quite affordable to go to City if you sit in certain places. I apologise, I don't know the ticket prices for every bit of the stadium nowadays, but if you behind the goal, it's actually 
relatively successful when Arsenal is laughable. Yeah. Um, so yeah, don't don't have any morals really. If you want to like a big big football club, because it's yeah, it's pretty hard. I'm interested on your take on this, Jack. Knowing that you support a team that is not in the top flight, uh, it's always in the same, though, isn't it? It's like it's the same as it was 20 years ago, but the numbers are different. I think um, some of the teams in the Championship that my team's in, and but well, Bournemouth have have just agreed a deal for a young lad from City, and they're going to pay nine million quid. To sign him next summer, um, it's like a lot of money, isn't it? Um, so I don't. It's going to sound a bit cliched, but I just always feel as if the lower divisions are not a more working class game, but they, they held on to the roots a little bit more and traditions. Whereas, unfortunately, for any supporter of a Premier League club, they either take the view that they're going to be swept along with um, corporate nastiness, um, or they go and say, "Well, this isn't this isn't for me." And I, I don't, I don't personally know any any football fan that has turned the back on on the club because of because of the way things have been going at the top. But and it would be the same. It'd be the same for me um, if we ever got back to the Premier League and became. Uh, a biggish club, which we won't. But if we did, I, I don't think I'd be able to kind of turn my back on on them because I didn't like what was going on. I guess it kind of because fundamentally in... it's the Saturday three o'clock, isn't it? You've, yeah. You're there for ninety minutes, so. But I, I guess it, it kind of speaks into that is that the opportunity for a club like yours to do that is 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 getting ever smaller as the years go by. It's been, oh, mate, it's been like it's been like this for twenty years. When when we got promoted to the Premier League in two thousand and ten. They did it by they looked they fluked their way to the Premier League, um, and they just got very lucky with some of the players that they they'd signed, and they had a manager at, at that time that galvanised them for for nine months. Uh, well, it wasn't even that; it was six months. Um, and the Championship is such a unpredictable and I would argue bad division that that sort of thing can happen or could happen, um, but the money being spent by those at the top end of it these days means that there's a smaller there's a smaller chance of them all of them messing up at the same time which is what happened you know which is what happened when we when we got promoted yeah um Simon Phillips on Twitter brings it back round to the on the pitch stuff he says uh, Bernardo and Laporte both had good games on Saturday both have been rumored to want moves away from the club which of the two would be missed more will Laporte um He's a very, very good centre back. Um, very hard to come by centre back of that quality. You look at you know the impact he made when he did arrive. You know, he's the impact he made when def- he wasn't there as well. Yeah, yeah, and he's a top class defender. And I think Jack said before City would want around sixty million quid for him, which you know you, you see how hard it was to find Ruben Diaz for that amount of money. You're not going to get another one, I don't think, and you know. Bernardo, I think there are quite a f- you know, there's a number of players that can play in that role um, and probably could find a replacement a lot more easily than you could for Laporte. So, yeah, if Bernardo wants to leave, that's fine by me. Do you, I mean, we talked about Laporte a bit earlier on. Do you see Bernardo leaving before the end of the window? Or again, is this a situation where nobody can afford him? No one can afford him. 
let's be honest, <laughs> he keeps being linked with Barcelona. Barcelona can't afford me at the moment. Um, <laughs> Barcelona I, actually tried to sort something out for Laporte earlier in the summer. Yeah, yeah. It's just like what sort of what planet are you living on? Yeah. So yeah, maybe maybe they could sign him and then immediately ask him to reduce his wages. Um, <laughs> I I just can't see. That. Like, although obviously Real Madrid keep bemoaning how poor they are, and then give David Alaba a massive contract, a load of money, and then are trying to spend hundred and forty million quid on Mbappe when his contract runs out in the summer. So I don't think I answered that particularly well before. Do you think basically? Do you think just think you everybody's desensitized to the money now? Yeah, generally we're quite desensitised to it all because it is the norm. It is quite a slick message that you get from football clubs nowadays. Um, you know, me personally, I'd never buy any merch from the club anymore. I don't. Even, I think those sort of things are so sort of overpriced. And you know, what is it for, for a shirt now? Is it like sixty quid at least? It's madness. What a season! When I when I was a lad, you'd get <laughs> you'd get you'd have a shirt every two seasons. Yeah, you change the home shirt one year, the away shirt the other Should year. Be next. Yeah. And that was that was relatively affordable. Now it's an absolute piss take of capitalism. It's just Well, they're selling pajamas now, aren't they? Oh yeah, oh the amount of, it, so. the amount of crap oh yeah, yeah. The amount of horrific crap you can buy on that on the shop is mental. Like, the only reason I'd ever look at it is if I was buying something to take the mick out of someone uh, in the <laughs> accessories section. Um, but yeah, I, I think yeah. I remember my brother's a United fan. I remember for a few years we used to buy the worst thing on the each other's website um, for Christmas. Which one year for my brother was a fake sleeve tattoo, where it was like a a pair of tights that you slipped over your arms, looked like you had like a massive sleeve tattoo. <laughs> Who needs that? You capitalist <laughs> tossers. Um, so yeah, yeah, we're all desensitized to it, you know. Every single week, you know, say you've got a new noodle cryptocurrency partner, they're all making money out of it. City are buying up clubs in places you've never heard of, and you think, oh, yeah, oh, oh, Troy, yeah, yeah, love Troy. Um, you know, love Atletico Torque, always I, taking over the world. It's global capitalism. It's not just, it's not Peter Swales renting you a TV every now and again. It's it's a completely different beast. Uh, well, uh, I'm not really sure how to follow that, but here we go. I'm going to give it a go anyway. Uh, Ollie Coulson finishes off this week with, uh, with the lap, Palmer and Lavia set to stay at the club this season. Do you think this is a change in policy about managing our youth talents and that they will get used or will they be staying far on the fringes of our exceptionally talented squad, Jack? Um... I don't think the managing of the youth talents has changed. Uh, I think the I think the players coming through and the players that they're producing are better than they were five years ago. So therefore, more will stay around the first team instead of going on loan. Look at Foden. Look at what they've tried to do with Tommy Doyle. Um, keep them keep them around because they think that's better for their development. Um, whether the three players mentioned will get a significant amount of game time. I'm, I'm unsure, but certainly in the cases of Delap and, and Palmer, they'll, they'll be given runs in the uh, in the cup competitions. And Palmer, obviously Palmer played in the Champions League last year, didn't he? And uh, Delap can play in the Champions League this year. Um, he wasn't allowed last last season um, because of registration rules. 
So I think they'll get a, I think they'll get a go, but I don't think it'll be a massive go. Um and certainly in the lap's case, if if they are to if they are to go and get Ronaldo um and do that deal with Mendes, then the lap is very much kind of reduced to Carabao Cup, FA Cup and hopefully something off the bench in um in Europe in yeah. the group stage. Yeah. Um, well, time's come to to pick a winner of the book. So, uh, chaps, I'm going to let you deliberate amongst yourselves. Any any particular question uh, that you that you thought was uh, the best for this week? Capitalism. It's got to be the social yeah. conscience. Yeah. yeah. Give give him something for free. <laughs> Cheer him uh, up. <laughs> well, Andrew Wilson, congratulations. We will be in touch. Uh, you've won yourself a copy of Standing Alone by the Athletic Writers Sam Lee, Daniel Taylor, and Ollie Kay. And that's it for today's show. Thank you very much to my guests, Jack Gaunt. Thank you, mate. And Will Unwin. Thank you. If you'd like some more, you can sign up to become a Patreon backer and there's a bonus podcast each Monday through the season. The most recent is a look at classic matches with Liverpool as Dom Farrell and the Anfield Raps Neil Atkinson give us their heaven and hell games between the two sides. That weekly extra show is available for just £2 per month at patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. Don't forget to give us a rating and a review in all the usual places, especially on Apple Podcasts if you can. And we'll be back next week, so I'll see you then. the blue moon podcast please support the show patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast